Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Crazy Money. I am your host, Paul Ollinger. Let me ask you a question that some of you might find controversial. Do you believe that women find men in expensive cars more attractive than men in less expensive cars? For example, if a fella was seen in a Bentley Continental GT, do you think women would find him more attractive than a fella who drives a Ford Fiesta? Let me ask you another question. Do you think men care about what kind of a car a woman drives? Would that affect whether or not he found her attractive? Well, my guest today is a guy named Rob Searle. He's a psychologist in Wales over there in the United Kingdom, and he actually did the scientific research to test this question. And his answers will either surprise you or confirm what you already intuitively know. I'm not going to tell you which one. Why does this question matter? Well, it's not to decide whether or not women or men are materialistic. It's to decide what effect does money or perceived affluence have on our brains in the most fundamental, primitive aspect of our life that is extending our genetics through childbirth and through finding a mate. Well, finding a mate first, then through childbirth eventually, or at least the signaling that happens along the way there too. I'm going to let Rob Searle introduce himself. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I'm a clinical psychologist working with people with uh, intellectual disabilities. So I'm a lot more now into the application and therapy in regards to psychology. Um, the research stuff has left me behind a little bit, but I've kept abreast of it for the nature of the podcast. But What kind of work were you doing? In, it was 2009, correct? 2010, the paper came out. And I was a final year of my, my degree, and it was then Mike Dunn, who was the original author of the paper, contacted me to say he was interested in doing some research. So it was purely for my undergrads, for my degree in psychology. I had to do something, so that's why I did it for those purposes. So you, this was just a project that you took on, and it became kind of a big deal. Uh, yeah, it really did. Didn't I expect it? But yeah, I, I had to do it for my degree, and it blew up into what it was. So can you explain the question that you and your partner in this research were, were striving to address? Yeah, sure. So Mike was always really interested in the evolutionary theory associated with basically why men fancy women and women fancy men. He was fascinated by it. I really enjoyed his his lectures, and there was a seminal study by Buss in 1989 who undertook a study across different cultures and found that 36 out of 37 cultures valued good financial prospects for women. Women valued good financial prospects way higher than men did. So it was that seminal study that intrigued Mike into thinking, that's really interesting. How can we possibly manipulate status in men to determine whether women might find that more attractive or less attractive or same attractiveness. So it was that key study by Buss that spring launched uh, Mike's idea, I think, and, uh, and led us to do what we did. Can you explain the basic, the setup of the study, how, how it worked logistically? Yeah, sure. So we needed to have, status can be manipulated in various different ways by uh, what you wear. A doctor's clothing is considered higher status compared to a bin man. If I wear certain, not just in terms of what I wear, but in terms of my house, one house can be considered different to another. But in terms of what Mike was interested in was manipulating status by means of a luxury car. 
some people consider, uh, well, it's known that some people consider swanky cars more attractive than being in a kind of low status car. So Mike wanted to consider that. So what we needed was two participants, a man and a woman. And we needed both those participants to be about a five or 10 in terms of attractiveness. Reason being is that if they were a 10 out of 10, then if you manipulate status and they were seen more attractive, then you're not going to get any improvements it's called a ceiling effect. That's why you didn't call me. You only needed fives. You couldn't have tens. Oh, no way. I'm tens, Paul. No, no, you, you would not make the cut. <laughs> so we need about fives out of tens. And if you, again, if you had a one out of 10, you're not going to see any reductions. So we need about a five out of 10. Mm-hmm. So I scoured everyone. I scoured my friends, family, <laughs> members of my cohort, looking basically for a five out of 10. <laughs> and I had photos of all of them, load of photos. And then I took their photos and I showed it to a group of psychology students. And I said, rate them from one to 10 in terms of attractiveness. And we did the various analyses. And I, one of the ladies in my cohort was considered about a five out of 10. So she was chosen. And my older brother, Clifford Searle, was chosen as a five out of 10. And it still makes me laugh now when I see his photo in the British Journal of Psychology as a bang average five out of 10. Um, but that's who they chose, right? So we had our five out of 10s. And then we needed to have the cars. So I called various uh, automobile companies, etc. And fair play to Bentley. They said, yeah, come along. Have your people be photographed in our cars. So I took a photo of my brother, my, my male, and my female member of my cohort in that car. And I need a, a neutral car. I'm not going to say low status because mm-hmm. it's not fair to say low status. I think that's quite unfair to anyone who owns this car. But Ford Fiesta, I had one, and maybe worth a few hundred pounds. And it was actually Mike Dunn's car that we chose. <laughs> was it? Yeah. The lead author paper. We thought, that's a good car. That'll be about, you know neutral status so again the same photo of my participants in that car not smiling neutral faced okay we didn't want to have anything influence the results just them in the car looking at the camera so we had it then we had our participants we had the cars and then we needed them to be rated again so what we did was uh, i went into a busy town center in south wales and i asked anyone i could meet to say, here's a photo of this person. Would you be so inclined to tell me what you think of him? One out of ten in terms of attractiveness. And people gave their sexual orientation as well. They were asked it. Reason being was that if they were of a homosexual um, orientation, then I took note of the result, but didn't include it in the analysis because we were looking for opposite sex attraction. We asked people's ages and we had uh, over, over 120 people uh, participate in that. And then plugged it into the analysis. And what we found was actually really quite consistent with what theory and evidence shows in terms of status and attractiveness. The male was considered far more attractive in the Bentley GT Continental, worth about £80,000 at the time. (laughs) Yeah. As compared to the Fiesta. Right. But for the woman, there was no significant difference as compared to when she was in a Ford Fiesta or a Bentley. And this is a woman of, and I don't mean this pejoratively, but average looks, typical looks. Yes. Hey, everybody, we'll be right back to my conversation with Rob Searle. But for one second, I want to share an example of how this stereotype that women care deeply about what a man drives shows up in pop culture. In the 1996 movie Swingers, starring Jon Favreau and Vince Vaughn, 
they track the dating exploits, the successes and failures of young single men in Los Angeles uh, just before the turn of the century, well, the turn of the millennium. And in this one scene, John Favreau, who has recently been broken up with by his ex-girlfriend, uh, approaches a woman. He summons his courage and approaches a pretty woman at a party in the Hollywood Hills. As you'll hear or see if you're watching this on YouTube, it doesn't go so well. Take a look or a listen. Hi, uh, how you ladies doing this evening? What do you drive? Excuse me? What kind of a car do you drive? Uh, Cavalier. It's red. Have a red. It's a red <laughs> What you don't see if you were just hearing that, it was as soon as Mikey said, uh, Mikey was John Favreau's character, as soon as Mikey says he drives a Cavalier, the beautiful woman just turns away and pays him no attention. And Mikey is obviously crestfallen that his lack of a decent vehicle prevents him from even having a chance with this woman. It's happened to me. I remember meeting this very pretty young lady one time in a very affluent environment in Arkansas. And before she even asked me where I went to school, what my major was, how tall I was, was my hair always that that shiny? She said, what do you drive? And from there, the conversation was basically over. Good thing I was dating her sister. Okay, here's the point. When I saw that movie, Swingers, I was driving a 1994 Saturn SL2, and I was so proud to even have that car because the car replaced was a 12-year-old beater that had a broken windshield, was missing a hubcap, and didn't have air conditioning, right? Like, the insecurity that caused in my dating life was palpable, was just this huge, huge 800-pound gorilla that you know, you knew when you pulled up to pick up some girl, she's going to look at your car and be like, this guy does not have it all together yet. And it was really intimidating. And if you think I'm making this up, listen to the data that Rob is sharing and listen to an anecdote I'm going to share from the first person testimonial from the mouth of 31-year-old, non-married, beautiful comedian, Catherine Blanford in six or seven minutes. So that was really interesting. We tried then to think about what might be the reasons for that? We've got to tie it to the psychological theory because that's what we do as psychologists. We take psychological theory and combine it with our practice. We make theory practice links. So what explains this? And what we know is that women are now purchasing high luxury vintage vehicles more so now than ever. And they were in 2010. Yet we're still seeing that difference in terms of women considering men be far more attractive in a high status mo uh, uh, motor, but women being considered the same in terms of attractiveness. And what we can understand is, is from evolutionary theory, which has its limitations, but if we track it back through evolutionary times, that in those primitive states where men were hunter-gatherers, looking for shelter, for food. Those men would be more inclined to do it as opposed to the women because men confer certain biological advantages. They have higher levels of testosterone, higher levels of muscle mass. So they would be more adept at acquiring those resources. And for a woman who understands that she is going to be, in those primitive times especially, vulnerable, she's pregnant, she won't be able to forage for herself or find it far more difficult. She will 
be less able to defend herself. It would make evolutionary sense for her to be attracted to a male who can provide her with the swankiest, you want to call it, um, most developed shelter with the most food and in our psyche, in our primitive psyche, that still holds water now that women are more inclined to consider men of high status more attractive because of those primitive psychological legacies we have from our ancestors that that is how you survive. That's how you're still here now because your ancestors were attractive to those men who had those resources able to provide for your great, 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 great grandmother when push come to shove. So that's what we're linking this, this seminal uh, research paper too. And the corollary of that is that men seek, well, like a, is it a corollary? I'm not sure, but the opposite of that, the other side, the go, looking at it the other way, men seek what from an evolutionary perspective? Attractiveness. Why? I mean, it seems obvious, but there's got to be a reason below this consistent instinct. It wasn't part of the research we conducted. We just looked at status. So we can definitely rule out the fact that uh, men are um, men aren't necessarily attracted to women because of status. That doesn't make sense from a, from a primitive evolutionary aspect. But in terms of, uh, I think, a paper by Singh that talked about waist-to-hip ratio, if women have a certain uh, waist-to-hip ratio, they are more conducive to uh, giving birth. Mm-hmm. I'd also consider that for it's varied across cultures. So in some cultures, men are far more attractive to voluptuous women, more even obese women, because... According to that culture, that signifies an ability to have resources. And But in terms of a more European, kind of westernized version of events, I guess it'd be my contention that the ability to withhold oneself from, from overeating, that takes a certain psychological prowess to see food and not eat it, especially consider the luxury and plethora of food we have available to us now. I think it's possibly from an evolutionary perspective that the men might be more attracted to women who are able to to withhold themselves and that psychological strength of not indulging is is possibly something but not specifically relevant relevant to the, to the paper does it all come back to man's desire to pass on his his genes so yes yeah. so uh there's a couple of interesting sayings so men are designed to propagate widely women are designed to propagate wisely <laughs> uh, men have millions of sperm, right? Yes. You can get that dusted off. Right. Yeah, but women have, you know, a couple of eggs. Like that, you've got to be very careful. Women have to be very careful. The other one, again, it's very callous, but um, if I had a, a key and it could unlock a number of padlocks, you can set up a pretty good key, right? Yep. But if I had a padlock that could be opened by any key, it's not a very good padlock is another way in which we might consider men and women. I'm going to reduce it down to to something far more glib than that, right? Which is women seek security and shelter and men are pigs. (laughs) It's difficult to say because I'm mindful that the theory of evolution as well has its critics and there are more modern um, feminist theories coming out in terms of, though they would be very upset with kind of what I'm saying. But from, from a primitive survival aspect in some ways it makes evolution for a man if he wants to pass on his offspring to have sex with as many women as possible i mean that's just survival that's the need to move to pass on one's genes to to ensure that the next generation is has your dna sure to say they're pigs i think is 
somewhat unfair because it's these primal instinctual urges. So, well, sure, but but as we become more civilized, you know, mm-hmm. generation to generation, we learn how to productively channel our primitive instincts, right? I mean, and, I, and mm-hmm. of course, I'm I'm oversimplifying and, and intentionally being glib about men, but the theory does prove a stereotype that might run counter to modern feminist theory and i'm not this is mm-hmm. not a political podcast but like to prove that women are attractive to men in nicer cars is proving a stereotype that a lot of men one of the reviewers of your work said these guys the british journal of psychology went to the trouble of publishing a study that any guy who's ever picked up a date in a toyota corolla already knows which is that women prefer men in nicer cars and it's like okay why do guys work so hard to buy fancy cars Okay, as I teased in that last break with the swingers clip, I want to share another anecdote that testifies to the fact that many women do care about what a guy drives. Now, I'm not saying women are shallow or more shallow than men. I'm not saying they're materialistic. I'm not saying any of that. But I am saying there is truth to this stereotype. You know, the reason it's a cliche is because it's true to quote the great Lloyd Cole. Oh, Lloyd Cole, good old days. 1988 was such a good year. All right. This is a clip from an interview I did with Catherine Blanford a couple of months ago. It was the first episode of Crazy Money that we did in 2023. Catherine's a very attractive young comedian who was recently on The Tonight Show, and she's getting a lot of attention out in the world today. I was asking her what she thought, whether or not the stereotype actually held water. Did women actually care about what guys drive? And here's what she had to say. In an upcoming episode, I'm going to interview a researcher And this guy and his researching partner did a study and they examined the role of the kind of car a guy was in and how women would rate his attractiveness based on the kind of car he was in. Uh What do you think that means? I get it. And what? <laughs> no, I get it. That means I get it. No, I, I wanted to be like, I don't, I'm not like that. And then I go, yeah, I dated a guy in college because he drove a Range Rover. You did. That was, that was the first, that was top three things I brought up about him. When somebody asked me. <laughs> what were the other two? I don't remember. I don't even know his middle name. Were you attracted to him? Yeah, I think so. But I think, I mean, literally in the back of my head, I was like, Right, that, and and I, I want to fight that so much because I drive a, a twenty a brand new twenty thirteen Hyundai, but like I I don't care about cars either. But here's what I think it is: I think it's because it, it is cars. I am I'm not a materialistic person, but mm-hmm. I think it is something about a car with the guy. Here it is. I think <laughs> I think we got to dumb it down to fundamentals, and it's still no matter how much things are changing, you still kind of you still kind of look at a guy and base his worth off of how he can provide, even though you can provide for yourself too. I mm-hmm. think as a woman, you still go, Oh, I can provide for myself. It's fine. I still, if that guy's with me and can't provide, I'm looking at him like, well, are you lazy? Are you going to freeload off me? Right. You know, hold your own, right? Attractiveness mm-hmm. and a nice car or just a attractive car. Tahoe. Yeah. Something that you want to put cement in because you're you're remodeling your home by yourself or right. something. I don't know. Now I can tell you for a fact that nobody's judging Catherine's Hyundai, right? They definitely just they're like, oh, hot girl, car. What does she drive? Who cares? And yet she's given a test. Now she was a younger woman when she made this decision to date a guy because he had a Range Rover. She's grown up. You know, we all did things when we were young that were silly or maybe aren't based on the most deep 
deeply rooted, most important emotional aspects of our personality. Anyway, I just thought it was really fascinating that the more you ask, the more you do research, the more some of these tendencies, these stereotypes tend to play out as accurate. Again, I'm not saying don't flame me on social media. Don't don't do it. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I guess the one thing we didn't do in our study, however, was quantify the personality characteristics of those women. Mm -hmm. So I know my wife, right? If I told her right now, I had a Rolls Royce or a Lamborghini outside now, she'd be livid with me. But she's already got you. She's already got you. She does. But she also says, if I didn't know you and you had one, I'd think less of you because to her... I've squandered material resource on something that can only be driven at 70 mile an hour, right? Right, in, in yeah. the UK. Like, it doesn't matter if you've got a four Fiesta or like, that's the, as fast as you can drive it, gets you from A to B. You've still got to pay, you know, the same road tax. Or no, you don't. You've got to pay more if you order, order have a swanky car. So I don't know in terms of personality characteristics and whether it is that those women who are, are, are more attractive to men in high swanky cars is there psychological personality characteristics that predispose those women to high attractiveness because certainly the modern woman i think would say no i'm not interested it would hurt me to know that a woman found me attractive for only my car right so i mean i certainly would hope that's not the case but it's not the car itself it's the signaling of the car right Mm -hmm. absolutely so you can see tiktok videos of men asking women out on a date and they say no and then the woman sees that man get into a swanky car the woman's like oh hold on a minute hey you okay and and it changes right right um the evolutionary three can be very reductionist in terms of it reduces our uh, psyche into being these robots just pre-programmed into you know very simple so and i appreciate that but i think there is something to be said about that evolutionary past that resulting us all being here today and those women's at that time they they couldn't be fussy with regards to you know resources they needed to survive so if a man had status and had material wealth it was those women who were able to acquire those men that survived and that is a psychological legacy we now have as human beings in today's society what was the feedback you received you and your partner received on this research nothing but loveliness so um there was Mike, Mike was interviewed via radio. He was on the news. He was in the papers. It was all just very exciting and wonderful. And we weren't challenged one way whatsoever. I'm mindful that now this paper could be criticised in, in all sorts of respects. And, you know, it was 2010 and, and society and, and thinking move on. But um, it really blew up. And I think Mike was quite overwhelmed with how much publicity he had on the back of it. But it, like I say, I, I think it, it does confirm what we already know. And as, as much as recent thinking can be you know, quite critical of, of, like I say, reducing men to pigs, there, I think there is a balanced argument here that there, there is something to material wealth and, and status that, that still lives on today. The tendency might be for a young guy or for a guy of any age to overspend on an automobile in the pursuit Mm -hmm. of short-term sexual gratification. I think you could spend a lot of money on, on doing that. And Hey, you know, if, (laughs) if it's, if it's worth it, then, you know, more power to you, but there's more to life and there's more to, for a long-term committed relationship where I think 
true happiness comes from. Again, it's you know about understanding, kindness, commitment. The when that time comes, hundred percent. However, if you were to channel the philosophy of the nineteen nineties R and B group TLC, who wrote the song mm-hmm. or sang the song "No Scrubs," I don't want no scrubs. A scrub is a guy who can't get no love from me, hanging out the passenger side of his best friend's ride. What What is the social implication of hanging out the passenger side of your best friend's ride? That you don't have your shit together, right? That you personally aren't a full man yet because you don't have your own car that you can drive me around in. That's not a negative implication necessarily. It's not a negative connotation if you don't own a car. Is that what you're saying? Well, no, what I mean is, you know, when I was 24 years old, I drove a beat up car that had no air conditioning and I lived in the hottest city in the Mississippi Delta and it was miserable. And if I'm going to go pick up a woman for a date when I'm 24 years old in this beater car that, you know, like is missing a hubcap and has a has a cracked windshield and I show her up and as nice and as charming a guy as I might be, the car I'm driving is an indication that I might not be ready to provide a stable home for a family. Her lack of being impressed by my car isn't necessarily an indication that she's materialistic, but that she's thinking about longer-term goals. And if she's short-term, if she's short-term oriented, then I'm sure as hell not going to close the deal based on that car, right? But for women who are thinking longer-term, maybe I'm just not ready yet to make a commitment. I can get that, and it's reminded me of a, a scene in The 40-Year-Old Virgin where he rocks up for his date, and he's, he says, i got a bike. And she went, wow, a bike? I haven't been on a bike since high school. And he goes, no, 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 a, a bicycle. Um, and <laughs> she, in all fairness to her, doesn't, you know, say no. She doesn't say, oh, no, that's not what I'm all about. You no, know, she stayed with him because, you know, is is depicted in the film, you know. She was a nice, well-rounded person, good values. But th- there is, you know, you get... The lovely women out there who are not all consumed by wealth and status. And it's a factor, but if there yeah. is a woman out there who understands it and considers it, certainly, but understands it more to a man in terms of his attractiveness and his depth as a human being that's not solely predicated upon wealth, and can see past that, then that's the type of woman you want. That's what I'd say. There's this whole crisis of replicability in the social sciences that Mm. studies that are supposedly demonstrated proofs, accepted theory cannot be replicated, the marshmallow test and all these other things, right? How do you feel like this study would stand up against the test of replicability? You'd find the same thing. (laughs) Honestly, you'd find the same thing. I do. Because it's just been measured so many times. I mean, Townsend and Levy did a state, uh, study in terms of uh, manipulating clothing, and they found, again, that the man was considered far more attractive in the high-status clothing. It's just been tested again and again and again. And, and whilst we consider P less than 0.05, so there needs to be a 95% probability that what you found is not a result of chance, we found that, Townsend and Levy found that, Bus found that. It's just It's just been replicated so many times. I cannot see anything else other than... But women don't look for just wealth and wealth indicators in men. They're looking for other things too. What other things did your wife see in you that made her want, that made her choose to commit to you for a lifetime? So I think you're right to say. So I know my wife, she said it was my playfulness. And that was what was a key aspect of it. 
But there's other studies by Bus and Schmidt. Uh, Bus is still going, so 2019, and cross-cultural evidence to show that there are personality traits in respect of a long-term partner, right? If you want a long-term partner, men need to be kind, understanding, and committed. Mm. Those are the three caveats. Bess and Schmidt found it. Um, Simpson and Gangan said in 1992, they all found it as well. So in terms of a long-term partner, I consider that it'd be more those qualities. But in terms of that initial attractiveness and perhaps desire for short-term copulation, I think maybe the, having a swanky car holds a bit more, bit more weight in that respect. And the other way around, I'm sure your wife is a spectacularly beautiful woman, but what traits Indeed. did you see in her that made you say, okay, this is somebody that I, I see myself committing to and helping to proliferate my genes with. How well said. I remember the first propagate, time I saw my Propagate's wife. the word I'm looking for. Propagate, sorry. I remember the first time I saw my wife and she came in and she was going to be interviewed for a job. And I sat there and I thought, okay, she really wants a job. She left that meeting and I never thought about it twice. That's my first meeting of my wife. <laughs> I you know she's going to be her. listening to this, right? Oh, so she is indeed, yeah. <laughs> but I asked her, well, what did you notice about me? She said, I didn't even know you are in the room. <laughs> At least I acknowledged she was in the room. <laughs> so that was my first meeting with her. And then since that time, we just got on. And she was a more senior uh, clinical psychologist from respect to me at the time. She was qualified. I wasn't. I cannot honestly say that her enhanced status was a factor associated with my attractiveness it wasn't that didn't bother me but she again was playful warm funny and over time then i started to think do i fancy her it wasn't a simple black and white of boom straight away she's hot it wasn't it was a just over time really got to know her and and she says likewise with me and i think again when it comes to long-term commitment and, and long-term relationships it is the kindness understanding and commitment that are the salient factors i think associated with the long-term relationships i think having a swanky car can be great but only for some women with my wife who wouldn't have but for some women certainly i mean Hugh Hefner did pretty well for himself in terms of uh in terms I, of status right in terms of status i guess it depends on the metrics you're using you didn't exactly wasn't the life that i wanted to replicate and it's funny you mention about your wife not knowing you were in the room. So the story of me meeting my wife is I was at a comedy show uh, where my friend was performing. And my friend's wife brought her boss and her boss brought my wife. And I was mm. fixed up with – I didn't know this, but I was arranged to be seated across from the boss. And I spoke to her and she was fine. But I, I said, I want to talk to – I, I want to go out with the girl down at the end of the table – and so I told my friend that on Monday by email or whatever. And my wife swears to this day that she didn't know I was there. She didn't wreck. She didn't notice me at all. And she's done such a good job of sticking to her story that I actually believe her. <laughs> so, so much for, so the power of our attractiveness. Do you worry when you watch streaming or television shows? And, and I presume you have just as many of those over in uh, the UK as we have here that are based on the lives of rich people, the Kardashians, the Real Housewives, Dubai Bling, whatever. When you see the glorification of ultra-luxury items, what, is that, what does that set off in your brain? It does worry me in respect of true happiness, where that comes from. 
one could say, oh, you've never seen anyone on a jet ski upset. And yeah, true. That is, you know, most people on jet skis look happy, right? But especially in today's society with, you know, uh, social media, etc., and putting your story out there, it is all about status. It's all about, you know, being in, having photos of the best filter and the best background and, and showing people on luxury holidays and what you're eating. And it's all, again, geared around, I think, status, showing how elevated you are and yeah respect the kardashians and things like that you see it everywhere but what i worry about is that if an attraction is formed based upon just material wealth that is only one tangent of a relationship that if becomes compromised the whole relationship falls apart so i don't think those people who men for example who have high status and luxury wealth if they got bankrupt I would worry for women who are attracted to them solely because of their material wealth and status, whether they would still hang around. Mm. And I'd like to think that with my wife, there is a foundation. There is some, some material wealth. I, I mean, I do okay as a psychologist, but there's other foundations that we have to build upon. If I went bankrupt, she's still hanging around. But again, with the glorification of houses, etc., if push comes to shove and that foundation is crippled and your whole attractiveness is based upon pure status and wealth, then I think it falls apart. And I don't think Hugh Hefner would have had as many partners as he did if he didn't have the money in the swank. I don't think they're going to be attracted to him. With the great respect to Hugh, it's not going to happen. So that's my worry. Rob, what would you say at the extreme the negative manifestations of these inclinations are? If I'm a guy, especially if I'm a young man not seeking long-term companionship, What's the danger of this inclination? Where can it lead me? So if you're a young guy, not out for long-term relationships, you just want to hook up and you read my study and Mike's study and you say, damn, you know, I need to get myself with a swanky car. I think you will more than likely attract more women and you will have more partners. I think that's just how that's going to go. However... If you have any inclination of trying to build a long-term relationship and your relationship is predicated on material wealth and you cannot sustain that, like if you are just leasing the car, then that relationship that you fostered and built uh, an attraction towards and made connections, it's just going to fall apart. And in terms of true happiness, there needs to be more layers to a relationship other than material wealth because we know it can be squandered and i'd worry that that gets reinforced then when you're younger yeah it's all about status all about wearing the best clothes best designers they'll soon come a part of your life where you realize and the women who've become older and more adept and nuanced in terms of understanding what true happiness is about things move on and when push comes to shove when that time comes if you've been reinforced in terms of material wealth is what it's all about you're gonna fall a cropper that would be my worry you said you didn't crunch the data on same-sex attraction. Did you have any anecdotal observations about men finding men attractive in more or less expensive cars or women finding women attractive in more or less expensive cars? Purely anecdotally, and it is. I can't justify this as stats. This will not be peer-reviewed. This, this will not be. <laughs> Based purely anecdotally, I still found, and it's a, hey, it's a recent study for anyone to take it up. I'd invite it. I think it's fascinating. But... For men 
who said they were attracted to the man, I tended to find that it still held water that those men found the man with the high status car more attractive Mm -hmm. as compared to the Diesta. And for those women who were homosexual, I didn't find them as different anecdotally. But what a fascinating study to kick on with. I'd be really interested in the results. I think we need to, you know, there's all those guys walking up to, um, on TikTok, you know, what do you do to the guy in the $400,000 Porsche GT or whatever it is? Somehow TikTok could do the world a service by continuing the good work that you started 14 years ago. Well, you're not going to get into any uh, published journal by doing a TikTok video. <laughs> you're going to need to do. You're going to need to do your stats. You're going to need to need to do your method, instruction, discussion. You know, but uh, it. Um, you see it out there. You know, you see the videos like I talked about. You know, the guy chats up the girl. She doesn't want to know. He gets in the car, and the girl's right bang on him straight. Like it's it's there. And but in terms of the homosexual orientation, I'd I'd love to see how that that comes out. We need to get these TikTokers to learn regression analysis, so it'd be fine. Anovas, absolutely. They need, they need to know their stuff. <laughs> if you were to choose another status item to test, what category would you look at? Are there any other others that you thought you might be able to use as a status-enhancing measurement? I'd love to do the amount of followers. Oh. I mean, it's it's so current and relevant now, you know? it's all, And that's why I see with with people it's like oh i need to get more followers and there's there's worries in terms of if i've lost followers i put up a bad photo and it can really you know the, the psychological sequelae of that can lead to all sorts of you know depression and then it, it, it's, it's really quite profound how social media is so blown up and how important it is that people have followers so i'd love to have a vignette of someone a man and a woman where the same exact details are on both so part A and part B. So let's let's call him Rob, right? In part A, Rob, describe me and say I have, you know, say 17 followers on Twitter. But give that vignette to someone else and say I have 10,000 followers on Twitter. Is there a significant difference in how attractive I am based on what you read where the only thing you change is the amount of followers? That is fascinating. Yeah, or the blue check, you know? Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. It's another one. But oh, I unfortunately... I can anticipate that it still would lead to attractiveness. I think that's probably the case. I I just think we're so we're so primitive and in in terms of our psychological legacy and it isn't a show of status. It is and I it's just been shown so many times across so many different variables of status. I think it would be and I think it's just sad, but I hope there are other qualifiers for someone again who when it goes into a relationship it's not all about status there's a person underneath that who if you have good compassionate caring qualities then those are the things to stick i'd like to think robert searle it's been really fun to talk to you uh your research is fascinating we're going to put links to the study in the show notes uh, is there any place where our listeners can find out more about you yeah they certainly can so i'm i'm on linkedin I will have to update my profile now after this podcast because I'm, I'm <laughs> not very well known with not many people. So I'll I'll make sure I add some uh, amendments to who I am, what I'm about, and I'll put on. Hey, I've been on the Crazy Money podcast as well, right? Got to put that on there. But I'll uh, I'm on LinkedIn, so yeah, hit me up with a message, etc. Uh, if you'd like to, thank you for the time. I really enjoyed it. Right on. Thanks for joining.